The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Monday the 4th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, President Zelensky removes his defence chief as Ukraine's counter-offensive makes a breakthrough. The UK Chancellor says he is confident inflation will drop to 5% this year. And we learn that Apple's latest iPhone will come with the same charging port as its rivals. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Ukraine's defence minister is being replaced. Alexei Reznikov held the post since before Russia's invasion, but faced repeated allegations of corruption related to military procurement. The move comes as multiple sources confirm Ukraine has achieved a breakthrough in its Russian counter-offensive. Here's what the White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby told reporters on Friday. Uh, we have noted uh, over the last 72 hours or so some notable progress by Ukrainian armed forces in that southern line coming out of the Zaporizhia area. Uh, and they have uh, achieved some success against that second line of Russian defenses. Kirby's comments come as reports emerge that Russia is getting significant financial support from Beijing. According to the Financial Times, China's biggest banks are now extending loans worth billions of dollars to Moscow. China's Xi Jinping is set to skip this month's G20 summit for the first time. It's not exactly clear why. One thing, though, that is evident, missing the event means that President Xi will avoid thorny questions on his support for Russia, aggression towards Taiwan and China's economic trajectory. Speaking after her trip to the country, the US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said that America is looking for more than words from their geopolitical rival. Trust is probably not the word I would use. We need to see action. And until we see action, there can be no trust. Gina Raimondo also told CBS's Face the Nation that while, quote, not every investment from China into America harms our national security, but many do. Here in the UK, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt says tax cuts are on the agenda if economic growth improves. Speaking ahead of Parliament returning today, Hunt defended the Conservative government's handling of the economy. Until you get inflation down, you can't end the misery for families who see the cost of their weekly shop going up, the cost of their uh, filling up their tank of petrol, they see that going up as well. And that was an absolute priority for us. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt insisting the government is on track to hit its target of reaching 5% inflation by the end of the year. He also promised to spend what it takes as a crisis over crumbling school buildings threatens to overshadow good economic news. Mercedes are promoting an electric vehicle which outperforms a Tesla as the car maker challenges Elon Musk's dominance. The German automaker's new CLA sedan can drive 150 kilometres further on a single battery charge. CEO Ola Kalenia says that it's aimed at the high end of the market. 
our goal is uh, value over volume. So we're not pushing volume. We're very, very careful about how we go to market, our go-to-market strategy. And as you can see from the results for the first six months of this year, that has been working quite well for us. We're focused on value for the customer. I don't think the customer expects from a Mercedes a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but something that you can depend on. Uh, so we will continue with the value over volume strategy. Kalenius's new car comes as Mercedes is under pressure to bolster its lineup after disappointing sales in China. Apple is expected to change the iPhone charging port for the first time in 11 years, moving from Lightning to USB-C ports. Consumers can now look forward to using a single charging cable for multiple Apple devices, faster charge for the iPhone and more phones being compatible with chargers for non-Apple devices. The company will confirm the date of the shift at its iPhone 15 event on the 12th of September. Well, looking at some of those stories that caught our eye, mm. I think we're, I'm still sort of, my head's still slightly spinning after an ONS <laughs> uh, release on Friday, which sort of undid a lot of the thought around what the UK economy has done since the end of COVID. It's a revision based on new data from the ONS, which shows the UK has returned to its pre-COVID levels and had done so, in fact, at the end of 2021. Yeah, this is more than a year and a half earlier than we had thought. So all of that bemoaning and hand-wringing about the state of the UK economy suddenly wiped out. It, It took... A lot of people by surprise. Mm. Um, The Independent, the newspaper talking about it being a huge lucky break for Sunak, the Prime Minister. Our economic performance was similar to that of most other countries and the third best in the G7. Having said that one caveat, we don't know that for sure because this is a revision of the data uh, from the statistics office here in the UK. But of course, other countries have a similar process. And so we don't exactly know what the picture will look like elsewhere. But you know, for now, it looks quite positive. Yeah, it certainly gives the government, uh, as the independent is pointing out, a bit of a boost when it comes to the calculations around Mm. the performance of the UK's economy. And it is interesting that the ONS is able to provide this more detailed data, uh, richer data, as they describe it, from things like the costs incurred by businesses um, and also that allows them to adjust for uh, price levels at a much more detailed level. But this, as you say, comes with an out of caution that there could be revisions that come from other countries as well. Yeah, absolutely. 2020, the UK economy still did shrink 5.8%, obviously the pandemic. 2021, though, revised up from 7.6% to 8.7%. So that was the bounce back after COVID. Okay, well, let's turn to Ukraine next, where President Zelensky is replacing his defence minister after allegations that the department overpaid for military supplies. This, as we are also watching a key meeting today between Vladimir Putin and Turkey's Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who are going to be discussing the Black Sea grain export deal that Russia abandoned in July. Our Europe correspondent Maria Tadeo is with us for the latest. Good morning to you, Maria. What is the significance, first of all, of President Zelensky replacing Alexei Reznikov? Well, it's a huge announcement uh, that was made yesterday by the Ukrainian president. As you say, this is the biggest or would be the biggest reshuffle in his cabinet, but also really going to the core of the defense ministry uh, by removing the defense minister who had been on the job for the entirety of the war. And of course, we know him pretty well because um, this is an individual that you would see repeatedly at NATO meetings. 
You would see him also at cabinet meetings with other European uh, defense ministers, U.S. officials, too, always calling for this idea of more weapons uh, for Ukraine. So the announcement yesterday by Zelensky, again, saying a lot of this had to do with um, allegations, uh, the idea that maybe uh, the defense ministry uh, overpaid for things like food and uniforms for the army. Of course, the more you overpay, the more you have money that is swirling around that may end up in, well, non-official pockets. So that is the announcement by Zelensky, I think the significance of it beyond uh, the implications on the battlefield and the counteroffensive, which I'm not sure there will be many because we should note that the defense minister obviously oversees the operations, he oversees the funding and he makes sure that uh, the army has supplies, but he doesn't really handle the actual uh, combat that is left to generals. But overall, what it shows once again is that President Zelensky has been very mindful of this idea of corruption and tackling corruption. Remember, a month ago, he was also uh, announced that he would dismiss uh, recruitment officers who were also accused of mishandling uh, funding. A lot of this goes into the idea that uh, Ukraine has to show that it's a serious country, A, because it is dependent on external funding. We know that billions uh, of dollars, euros have gone into this country, so they have to show that there is not just value for money, but obviously that they take seriously uh, this money. And then two, politically, uh, remember, this is a country that wants to join the European Union. This is a country that says we'll make uh, tackling corruption. And Ukraine has, for many years, a bad reputation in terms of that issue. Mm. So it's also political here. He wants to send a political signal that not only they're not brushing this under the carpet, but he's actually tackling head on. Yeah, absolutely. The strength of governance in Ukraine was an issue pre-war. How big a problem do we think that corruption is in Ukraine's war effort right now, though? Look, I, th- that I would not get into because I, I feel like, uh, again, well, there's there's a number of things before we can uh, say that the defense minister himself, and obviously there's significance to that because this is a man that oversees uh, the ministry and the government operation when it comes to the war effort, which is tremendous, as we know, uh, for the past two years, this war almost going on now. Uh, look, uh, the reality is at this point, he has um, denied the allegations. It is unclear whether uh, Ukraine Ukraine also, by doing this, President Zelensky believes that he has benefited from this uh, personally. We also know that the Ukrainian parliament will have to uh, vote this move uh, and vote in, for, in favor to remove him. And then, of course, the investigation continues. So I think the entire size of this uh, remains to be seen. But again, I would go back to this idea of showing value for money when it comes to Ukraine. We know that, again, billions have been pumped into this country, not just in weapons, but also in direct funding. And of course, this is a counteroffensive that we know is it's proven difficult and it's proven hard. So also for Ukrainians, there's a whole interest in this being, quote unquote, cleaned and focusing on the battle. Maria, let's turn to that meeting between Presidents Putin and Erdogan set to take place later to do with grain exports. What's at stake in this meeting? Well, it has to do with uh, the grain exports and overall it has to do with more than 30 uh, million tons of food that were exported through this grain deal. Remember, that's what the United Nations has credited uh, this deal for. This is a deal that was mediated by the United Nations, as I say, but also Turkey uh, connecting Ukraine and Russia. What we know now, you said this at the top of the show, is that Russia pulled out of it unilaterally last month. What it changes here is that a lot of the ships that would be crucial in terms of getting at this 
um, food components and and grain are now being treated by Russia and Ukraine too because remember that was a tit-for-tat response from the Ukrainian government they're now being treated as potentially military uh, cargo and therefore potentially a military target what Erdogan hopes to get in this deal is Russia back at it to make sure that we go back to a format like we had before where both Russia and Ukraine would facilitate uh, ships like this that export uh, food to operate safely in the Black Sea. We know that Erdogan wants this, the United Nations wants this, the European Union wants this too, Ukraine wanted it too. The question is whether he can get Vladimir Putin to agree to it. Yeah, absolutely. And wheat uh, futures remain pretty volatile on that prospect, really. Uh, Maria, thank you so much for being with us. That is our Europe correspondent, Maria Tadeo. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, turning to a different story now, we've been reporting regularly over the past few months about how a shortage of rental properties in London has driven double-digit increases in rental costs. But it's a problem that's being seen in many major cities across Europe. This is something that Bloomberg's Sarah Jacob has been looking into, and she joins us now for more. Good morning to you, Sarah. Why is it that renters are finding it more hard now to find apartments than they did before? And, and what, how widespread is this problem? Hi. Um, yeah, there are a host of different factors that are, you know, affecting cities from Zurich to Dublin, Lisbon and Amsterdam. It's uh, basically a mismatch between demand and supply. Um, on one hand, you have rising mortgage rates, which have forced many people to postpone buying a home or an apartment. There's higher migration in many cities, and that's increased the demand in the rental market. Uh, on the supply side, there's a small size of European cities, you know, uh, and higher concentration of historic and low-rise buildings in Europe. Uh, that's sort of coupled with an environment of high inflation rates and in turn high construction costs, which is impacting supply. So these factors combined are resulting in rents rising across several large cities in Europe. Mm. What are the factors then causing this sort of housing shortage in a number of different cities? So, I mean, in, in, in many ways, governments have identified the problem that, you know, there is this, this, this severe shortage and they, they're introducing plans to tackle it. But uh, the other main factor is basically just inflation and green policies, you know, which is raising construction costs. They aren't enough. Uh, they aren't able to build enough or build fast enough to keep up with this rising demand. What about the the role of migration and all of this as well. Population growth in some of these cities is is part of what this story has been playing out. Yes, yes, that's right. So um, in a lot of large cities, you have governmental tax breaks and they're leading to a lot of global companies setting up offices uh, in, in big cities, uh, which is it sort of uh, attracting a lot of high-skilled workers from other countries. So in Lisbon, you have locals who are protesting against being priced out of the city centre as there's an 
influx of you know wealthy foreigners in many cities in eastern europe there's been an influx of ukrainians fleeing the war um, in amsterdam for instance the municipality has said that in 2022 the population growth and migration can even be referred to as extreme so it's definitely a big factor playing out here and what impact does it have then on the broader economy i mean if people are having to pay so much of their income uh, on rental costs yeah, uh, you're seeing, you know, a lot of those people who can't afford to buy homes are sort of being forced to, you know, give up a lot, a larger portion of their income on housing. You're seeing in places like Dublin and Lisbon, uh, young professionals are moving back in with their parents. In many instances, in other areas, people are being forced to find apartments in the suburbs or satellite town that they're commuting into bigger cities. What are people doing then to, to get apartments in these high demand places? Yeah, uh, real estate agents are seeing, you know, several like 100, 200 responses on each apartment listing. So people are starting to get a bit creative to stand out. In um, Amsterdam, for instance, we spoke to a mother who is actively searching for an apartment for her son as he prepared to go to university this month. And she was searching for about four, uh, four months, logging in 10 times a day on uh, online to look at websites that she wasn't successful. And she finally started getting more viewings when she created an ad or a resume of sorts for her son and put up his pictures and interests and sa- shared it on social media. Um, in Zurich, you're seeing apartment hunters, you know, taking wine, chocolates and their bank statements to viewing. So, so people are really uh, starting to get creative. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.